If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you, my friends? What's happening? Hope you're well. I had a birthday this past week, 49 years old. Monday seems like the appropriate day of the week to turn 49 years old. Uh, I wasn't really that into celebrating, if I'm completely honest. But uh, later in the day, my son reminded me that 49 is 7 squared, so apparently it's a lucky year. And this random fact surprisingly changed my perspective and, and has since. And I'm not even superstitious, but suddenly I felt this new sense of potential. And if something as simple as a suggestion from my child can have this kind of power, what is it that really holds us back? This is what I've been sitting with since since Monday. And it seems a, a perfectly appropriate thought for my guest today, Matthew Putman, CEO of Nanotronics, here to chat with me about visions of the future through nanotechnology, AI, robotics, and 3D imaging. If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Sometimes that includes challenging your belief system, which, as you'll see, is a, kind of a theme for this episode. Having uh, worked in integrative health for more than 20 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our world come to have an effect on our health, and it is my hope that through the conversations here on the podcast, you might be able to navigate it all with greater ease, make more informed decisions, and live a vital and supported existence. I just want to say a quick thank you to the new supporters of the podcast and to all of you who continue to support this project with our effort to provide you with quality resource, education, and inspiration your donations are helping us build a more informed and connected community. And if you haven't donated yet, you can pledge your support for as little as $1 a month. That's right, 12 bucks a year. And we've doubled our episode outputs for this past year, so if you feel like it's worth 5 or 10 bucks a month, you wouldn't be wrong. We'll be bringing even more resources through our new website, highwaytohealthpodcast.com, where soon you'll be able to search subjects from people who are actually in these fields and writing about this stuff. You can donate now by going over to patreon.com forward slash highway to health and pledge your support. When you get there, you'll see there's a, a two-minute video of me also explaining uh, my thoughts on the future of this project. Also, if you haven't given us a review, scroll down to the bottom of your episode's feed and give us some stars. And the reason that you keep tuning into the show to help others get more informed. And don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family and coworkers. It's a nice way of saying that you care about them and want them to stay well. And if you're going to be in the air or underground and want to listen to us there, just download the episode before you travel. I've been told by listeners that my voice has a soothing effect, so it won't, I won't be hurt if you fall asleep listening. Uh, this also means you probably need some rest. So my guest today is Matthew Putman, and I have to tell you, I don't want to oversell this, but it was a really fun one for me, and it gets to the heart of much of what I've been thinking about since I started this podcast in 2016. 
We were introduced at my local Brooklyn bar restaurant that I call my living room while I'm there working. So I, thanks, thank you to Justin at Vexler's. Matthew and I immediately got into a conversation that lasted over tw two hours, and we discussed everything from technology to music to health and to being married and the father of two children, fathers of two children. <laughs> we, we, have our, we each have our own two children. He texted me a few weeks later to let me know that he was binge listening to my podcast, so I said, I think it's time for us to record something together. Uh, I find him to be both challenging and engaging, but also one of the sweetest guys I've connected with in, in, in a long while. He's a scientist, educator, musician, author, and the CEO of Nanotronics. He's also a big thinker, and he shares with me here the story of his own health challenges and how it was one of the biggest motivating forces behind the development of his company and why they are becoming the industry leader in nanotechnology. I really hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Here's my conversation with Matthew Putman. So I'm, I'm curious to know what Nanotronics is doing to improve experience in different industries. Before that, I guess we should probably get down to what is nanotechnology? Uh, nanotechnology started out uh, with an idea that this guy Eric Drexler had back in 1989. I read a book that he had written that really coined the term nanotechnology called Engines of Creation. And it was such a sort of sci-fi beautiful idea that... You know, we, we can most think about it if you think about a replicator in Star Trek. Um, that things that are made are are exactly the size of the thing you're making. So if you're going to make a car, a factory for a car is going to be the size of the car. Okay. But the really exciting thing is that it's self-replicating. It can be used. Um, there's all, all sorts of interesting applications from... Um, creating a sort of false immune system so that you're, you can you can have a nanobot that goes into your body, acts as your immune, as your immune system, not like immunotherapy, but actually the immune system itself, to nanobots that can probe the brain, to uh, uh, new types of memory devices that would reduce um, electric consumption by enormous amounts. So if you can build things on the molecular scale from the ground up. Yeah. Um, Really, anything is possible. You can use your imagination to anything that you would like to build. Uh, and it's, this is ah. sort of this great dream that was a little bit possible back then. But I think it, you know, technology is converging in such a way uh, that we're going to start to see bits of this coming out in the world. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. So do you also build things to study them without having to like inter like and, and you do stuff with like the with when you get into nanotechnology you're also doing 3d replication right is that now, part of it now mind you the, when i talk about that big engines of creation dream that yeah. isn't in the world yet but okay. also the building blocks to get there are starting to be now personally my me or or my company um don't do molecular manufacturing yeah um but you know we, we sort of have this phrase to build a future, you have to see it, which is something I, uh, I, I worked in a lab at Columbia University. And I realized that there were these incredible inventions that were not just coming out of my lab, but labs throughout universities everywhere that actually were not coming out of the lab. They were stuck in the lab. Hmm. Um, 
uh, they needed to be scaled yeah, uh, yeah. to matter. And, um, you know, using other types of forms to see things like atomic force microscopes that only see an incredibly small area okay. um, or electron microscopes, it wasn't, you, you weren't able to build, uh, to take some of these great discoveries, things like nano antenna that will work for on IR for, uh, for, for as a photovoltaic to something I was really involved with, which is regenerative medicine uh, scaffold. Right, right. Stem cell. Uh, these things would be stuck in the lab if you couldn't use a very 400-year-old technology with modern computation, which is a light microscope. Invented okay. over 400 years ago, it was involved with discovering germ theory and then led to what would become modern medicine and now could be used for this sort of next generation. Right. So, um, so, so back, let's back up to this. So sure. this, is, this is what's interesting. Like, so you're, you're and, and, and I think just for listeners to understand where we're where nanotechnology is going, yep. it comes from this point. Like your your interest is in in microscopes, basically, right? Is that is not, that right or not necessarily? Uh, no, my my interest is in what microscopes Skin, help enable right, for the right, world. Right, you know? right, okay. Now, microscopes, I think, have been an interest to everybody since they were invented. Yeah. I mean, you just see beautiful things that you can see, but it's not. It's the purpose that it serves, right? Um, right. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a microscope along with a lot of other technologies that exist now, uh, and a lot of creativity that exists now that allows these other technologies to be invented. Um, so it's not that I'm pr- particularly interested in, <laughs> right. in in the next microscope. I think that microscopes have been pretty good for a long time. Yeah. But computer technology, artificial intelligence, and just how we're starting to view things um, is different and more possible than it was before. So, so the what was your entry into this? Like, at, you you have a PhD in in engineering and uh, applied a, physics, applied so I'm physics, a material scientist, yeah. right? But but you but you started out. I mean, you started out in uh, in music and and theater. Is that yeah. is that true? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it depends when you say just started. You right, know? right, right. Um, your, your, your higher, edu- your higher well, education well, version of this. My higher education wasn't so high, I guess. I wasn't very good. I, I, I wasn't so particularly good at those things, but I, I, I love them dearly. But um, my family worked at, my father had started a business when I was eight years old, and uh, it was a scientific instrumentation company. Ah, okay. And, you know, I was sort of child labor at age eight, working <laughs> on the uh, kitchen table, uh, doing specific gravity tests and doing So I was doing some sort of statistical analysis even when I was a, a kid. But uh, I loved music and loved theater and loved... The, I, I Your really family wanted loved to be, it too? Um, yeah, my, my father could play jazz, piano, uh-huh. my mother plays, um, I mean... And, and my father plays a banjo. As I, music has been around yeah, in my yeah. life, but um, I wanted to be a professional. I wanted, and so I went to school, studied music, studied theater. Came to New York, um, you know, young age. I finished school quickly. You're from Akron. I'm from Akron, Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Um, sort of former, almost completely uh, exemplifies former Rust Belt. Um, yeah. America, where you have a population that's leaving, you have former industry that created a sort of middle class population yeah. that no longer exists. Um, so, you know, like the fleeing population, I also came to New York because of everything that was sort of culturally interest, interesting in New York. And what what is the industry that's that's in there was in Akron? So Akron was the rubber capital of the world, and that's these are the five major rubber companies were all headquartered in ah. in um, 
in Akron, uh, which my grandfather in 1928 started working at BF Goodrich Tire Company, ah. and, you know, Goodyear and Firestone. They were all in, the, in town, and you know, it's one of those towns that you know neighborhoods are sort of broken up by you know there's there's Firestone Park and Goodyear Heights. And <laughs> yeah, but um, that in, in the in the early to mid 80s it started to break apart. The industry started to 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 leave, like so many other. And uh, 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 towns like that in the yeah. United States. Yeah. Is, is it changing there again? Is it is it starting to kind of come back around? I think in other places it is. I think Akron still struggles. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. So my company uh, is opening. We still have a facility there, but we, we have a facility in California where we do manufacturing. And here in Brooklyn, in the Brooklyn Navy Yards, yeah. um, we sort of went on a nationwide search of a place to open a manufacturing facility. And I, I thought Akron, it would be nice to go back to the areas like that. Yeah. But actually, um, New York uh, encouraged us to come be in the Brooklyn Navy Yards, build a place that does manufacturing and research. So you would have everything from neuroscientists and AI developers over you know, really modern machines and uh, you know being able to create robotics all in one location. And I think it's kind of beautiful that in a city that does have culture and the best culture, the best uh, food and medicine and everything that New York has to offer, we can now see not, you know, the things that are in our lives, we don't actually see where they're made, right? I mean, right. You, we right. have no idea, you know, there's this sort of concept that um, Matt Ridley has, he talks about, you know, if you were to have a computer mouse, um, not a single person in the world would be able to make that, you know, it's... It's it's one of these things that yeah. you, you don't yeah. know where it's from, which leads us to nanotechnology. First of all, we'd like to make things in New York. With nanotechnology, eventually, you would be able to make that mouse yourself um, yeah, yeah. to replicate it from the ground up. So to me, it's just getting micro, smaller and smaller from everything from manufacturing to farming to being to to regenerative medicine. Um, and New York's a nice place to start for that. And and you have people who are interested enough here in what you're doing that probably want to be engaged with your process. And you also have the pool of, of brilliant people <laughs> to, to to also kind of be there too for you. Yeah, I mean, New York's a... So there's the sort of obvious good candidates in New York that come from the universities and things. But I'm also, in some ways, I think the university system's broken. Yeah. And I don't... I, I I need to find a way to look for creativity uh, and sort of the desire to build new things and to create a better world in places that nor, most people wouldn't look. Yeah. Um, and which is a, a challenge, but I I think if if you look around the company, it's you know everybody has moved around to different jobs because it, it, within the company, it's hmm. sort of these generalists that find a specialty or a specialist in one thing that. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a high school degree or a college degree, you know, we, we work with artificial intelligence. So it's the power to be humanly creative, which, yeah. which we value most in the people that work there and, if and, we're going to I'm make sure. something that's robotic. Right? And, and you're looking for this, these curious minds who... Yeah, can, exactly. And, and who probably are, are not so driven by ego, but by the exploration. Yeah, sometimes. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that is the key quality that... They also want to do these things that humans do particularly well, which are create and discover. Yeah. Um, and that that quality to want to explore and to build. Um, Merkel Navy Yards is in um, a sort of low income area where there's some low income housing, and you know it. 
I, I would rather figure out, you know, what, what the neighbors of our facility, what, yeah. what they right now do not know as if, and I don't either. I mean, it's not <laughs> right, them, right. but what we don't know is possible. Can, can we invent that together? Can we dream about what world we'd like to create? Yeah and build it together. I mean, I think that's, and you, when you and I were talking about this before, I think we got into this, this discussion, which is that the, the, and it, this leads into like some of the things I've been interested in in the podcast, which is that if we're to improve our experience, you know, with each other, we have to include each other in, in so many of these ways. And yet we, we become driven by, so driven by like brand and by the market and these things where we, we kind of forget about who are the people who are benefiting and who might potentially benefit by like being in a location, like you choosing to be in Brooklyn, for instance. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple aspects to that. There's one that you and I can meet around the corner and then stumble into each other and make this happen and then right. realize that even though our lives and our, our careers seem to be completely different, there's right. these overlap in ideologies, yeah. um, which, which I really love. But there is the brand, the branding is a different kind of branding problem than there used to be, I think. So there was, I think there was always sort of issues with big, you know, they sort of, you used to think about big businesses being maybe a, a management versus labor issue or you, even a sort of pollution issue. So mm -hmm. now big business to me is associated with things that are involved with ad tech, right? So uh, the Googles and the Facebooks right, of the world, right. which are slightly, if, if anywhere on the spectrum from slightly to overtly um, mind manipulative. <laughs> right, right. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's, you know, that's the goal of trying to sell something through advertising in a way that's subliminal, which yeah. is what, what these companies are doing. But I realized that, Kevin, you, in Google, when you try to, if I want to go and search something and I, I, you know, I want to figure out who you are and learn about your podcast, yeah. just because I start to try Jeremy, it may start to fill in something else that starts with it. And, I'm, and it might be interesting to me because Google has my history and I right. will search that and completely, you know, it will take me down a completely different place yeah. until I no longer follow the path of discovery that I wanted to go down. Right. So, what I'm interested in is both business and personal exploration to not be guided by what is currently big business, which what I would say are the big tech companies. But I would also say that like even let's say I'm I'm researching you, which I'm which I did for today. And I <laughs> and, 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 and you and you and I had a lot of conversations, so I feel like I had a pretty good sense of like your background, where you're coming from, and the details that that I'm gonna get, say, from like, you know, your business about us and your LinkedIn and this it still is just like the surface or the the titles that you know the limitations of language that we have to look at yeah. it's not you it's not like you and me accidentally striking up a conversation as we did and start and start getting into all this stuff or what we might get into today it's it's just that surface stuff so that's the, also the limitation of of where we're at technology well, wise yeah i mean i can imagine that if if we hadn't met but 
you know, somebody had told you or you said, oh, I, I want to have this guy. But you would see me, uh, you yeah, know, like a Black yeah. Mirror episode of how many <laughs> fo- uh, uh, Twitter followers I have and yeah. what that one tiny paragraph in Wikipedia would say, which is like 10 years old. And, which, yeah. and so that would be sort of branded on me as you see me. It wouldn't be what we discussed when, yeah. when we met um, or, at or, a restaurant or, around or the corner. that they took out of, out of a conversation which, that you had or yeah, and, and made into a I title mean, of an article. No, it's true. I mean, there was one... You know, I, I I had sort of two experiences, both kind of touch on health things, which is probably interesting for your podcast, but um, that keep coming back to haunt me of things that, you know, you have to be careful not to do either do a podcast or do an interview yeah. if you don't want it to continue to come back for the rest of your life. And, you know, um, you know, and no doubt this, this one article, um, you know, was not a lie was not wrong, but it certainly was taken out of context. I would interviews for a long time. And whenever you would say, anybody would search me, that's the first thing they would read. Uh, and so, you know, getting over that is something that you used to be able to create a new life for yourself. It's yeah, very hard now. I know. I, 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 had a, I had a thing with this early in my, not super early in my career, but early in the, I, I treat babies, I treat newborns. Mm. And I was, I was in New York here, uh, my business used to be just down the street from here. And I got found out about through the network of baby community. And, you know, this neighborhood is one of those neighborhoods where it, lots of people in media live. Yeah. And so someone from New York Times came in and was like, we want to interview Jeremy Quinby. And so my business partner at the time was like, this is so exciting. And we're, let's, let's, let's do this. This is exactly what we needed right now. And as I talked to the person, I realized they wanted to meet a guru they wanted they wanted me to be a specific thing yeah. for just content filler that they needed and i realized they could make me into whatever they wanted to and i could just had this like feeling in my gut like this could go horribly wrong in print and i said you know what i'm not ready to do an uh, so you didn't do it so i didn't do it yeah yeah i mean you can't make the assumption that new york times is a is a brand, they, they have an agenda as well, right? And um, but yeah, it would be different if you know. I have a friend that used to write um, letters to the editor of the New York Times. This was a great mentor of mine, and they would get published all the time, you know. But it didn't matter; it wasn't archived forever, you right, know. Right. Like, so you, you could take these. So I think that somehow all of us have become slightly less courageous because of this. That's interesting, and yeah. we kind of disguise courage for tweeting, right? I mean, I was thinking about this today in New York, they had this, this um, protest of yeah. kids going for climate, uh, yeah. this climate crisis uh, march. And I was thinking they get excused from school to do this, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, there is no risk to them. This isn't, this isn't actually a protest like old school where you're actually going and saying, I'm standing for something. And at the same time, you know, it was this Swedish, sixteen-year-old uh, Swedish girl who had yeah. come over by boat. It's like this, she's almost has a messianic quality about her now, mm-hmm. um, because she showed some courage at all, like physical courage, and yeah. did something. Yeah. It's getting really rare. While we all think that we're being brave to say to, you know. To, to say something within this little sort of sphere that we live in virtually. Really it's very strange. So speaking of brave, you had quite an ordeal with a health issue in your life. What was your 
cancer diagnosis? I forget. Yeah, I had a esophageal cancer, esophageal, which yeah. I'm sure you're, you're aware is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, and yeah, n- now 13 years ago. So it's so you were actually. Um, it's so wonderful that I can talk about this without too much anxiety. It makes yeah. me shake a little bit to remember. Yeah. But uh, I was thinking about this in the sort of longevity community. Um, you know, people like Aubrey de Grey, who, and people that work in sort of the longevity world yeah. say that, you know, I guess, what do they call it? Like longevity escape velocity. You know, every year that you live more than, you know, this slightly year longer than the expectancy, yeah. that you've sort of reached this longevity. Um, uh, escape velocity. And in some ways now I feel like if you think it's 13 years after having esophageal cancer, I've kind of reached that point where I, oh, I'm, I've, I, I've sort of achieved a, a little bit of immortality that I didn't think I'd be able to have. It's, it, it's true. And, I, and I'm sure after the, you know, what you went through and the survival part of things makes every, you know, minute of your life sort of a, a, a whole different chasm than most people do where they, they don't they don't appreciate those those moments the way that, that you must. It I I wish that it was always so positive like that. And right. I wish they didn't still suffer from anxiety all <laughs> yeah, about things yeah, all the yeah. time and worry about small things, which I do. I, I I didn't have that that kind of enlightened view that I I, I didn't become stoic suddenly like I wish I had. Uh-huh. That said, I feel enormously this enormous urgency to do everything. Hmm. So that's what I started my company right away. I, I, I'm, I, I've moved very quickly to get things done, and that I would not have moved in that oh, fashion otherwise. Um, you know, this that I, I keep bringing up climate just because maybe of today, but yeah, yeah. it's not just today. It's, this is something that we've sort of reached this time in the last year, I think, where it's gone to a point where people are now actually terrified by it rather than thinking that they can make incremental and, and change. It's, and it's, start, it's starting to become clear that it's going to affect our economies. Like I was just reading an article about about how places on the coast are going to have a really hard time, people on the coast are going to have a really hard time affording the insurance that they need to live actually in places like Florida, anywhere along this coast, all along California, and even places, you know, in the middle of the country in Texas and where there's flooding right now, yeah. you know, there's a lot of it. Yeah. I, I mean, the, yeah, the economic impacts, I'm a, it, it's interesting if we can start to address a, a, economy and finance in completely different ways, no matter whether, and, and that's, that can, uh, th- that's kind of an important thing to do. Let's look at how insurance is addressed anyway, maybe. <laughs> but um, health insurance included. Yeah. Uh, but the, I think that the thing is, this is the first time that, you know, I, 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 I'm not, I don't know how old you are, but I assume we're a similar uh, generation. I think I'm and a couple we, years older. We, uh, you know, um, sort of the younger generation grew, didn't grow up during the Cold War. Yeah. And I mean, there, there was actually legitimate fear when we were kids, yeah, right? I yeah. mean, you, you know, you, you sort of... The, the, this, the drills, did you have the drills yeah, with, under, mean, under the desk yeah, and in the just, bathroom? It's just and, such a different thing. I mean, you were, yeah. you know, very, very scary times. And there's been now a generation and a half that haven't had that kind of existential fear. Yeah. And this is the first time I'm seeing it a little bit again with yeah, this climate yeah, crisis. Sure. Well, an existential fear personal fear is almost dying of cancer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the, this is one of the most straight 
to the point. It absolutely made me address my life differently. And the first, when I started the company, the first um, application that I, wor- I worked on was with a, uh, a lab out of, it's called the McGowan Institute uh, for Regenerative Medicine at, out of Pittsburgh. This I mean, amazing researcher, Stephen Badalak, who um, got a lot of attention 15 years ago and still does great work, but somehow it's been lost where the, you, you know, it's people with the Barrett's esophagus, he would, you know, that you would take the lining of a pig's stomach, mm-hmm. clean it off all of its native cells, seed it with um, stem cells from the, from the patient, yeah. remove the, the, uh, uh, the epithelial layer of the esophagus and replant it and you'd have a new, um, the, and this w- this was working, and it had some problems of native cells still being on uh, native yeah, pig yeah. cells still being on it, and I also wanted to create scaffolds from w- without having to use animals. Mm-hmm. And number of so this was this was some you know somebody I could work with right away that it connected to this fear from the the patient to the desire to, of this doctor uh, researcher to be able to do something that seemed sci-fi superhuman yeah. and it was one of the first things that uh, we worked on as a company so he's really really you can tie a lot you can connect a lot of the dots did you being did you sick see any health. of any of this coming before you got ill uh, did you did you kind of have a sense that you might go down this kind of path with 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 what you were developing, or was this something that started oh, to like I hadn't, grow I hadn't at that point? I hadn't started developing it at all. Oh, wow. um, and and a lot of these things, as far as when I when I think about these first um, either customers or partners in the business, it wasn't so obviously a response to being sick, but in retrospect, it kind of makes sense. You yeah. know, I. Uh, um, you know, I started to not only think about, well, you know, w- w- what if I get sick again and, you know, and die in a year or possibly, I started to think more long-term. And so we, we had, uh, we, we worked with a, a lab that, uh, looked at dementia and, um, you looked at dendritic density and, uh, spine density and the length of, and so, so some interesting things came out of that. And then that crossed over to work that people looked at with schizophrenia research. And mm-hmm. so there's this nice cascading of things that had to do with not just what would affect me near term, but, you know, what what does it mean to grow old? Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, both what does it mean to grow old if if the planet go, <laughs> is, is yeah. in, in yeah. crisis? What does it mean to grow old if, you, if your body is in decay? Um, what does it mean to grow old if we're living in fear in general? And you know, I, I it it wasn't that I didn't or don't have a motive to create a successful business, but not for the sake of creating just a successful business. There are right. a lot of things one can do to make money. Yeah. Um, this I wanted to do something that was, and I, and I think a lot of it was subconsciously tied to that sickness. So the development of, of like each of these kinds of pieces of tech that you've been working on, do they feel very connected in, in, in the sort of grand scheme of what you've been thinking about? Like starting with, 
your medical challenge and being able to solve these things or being able to develop things. And you're also using 3D imaging and being able to sort mm-hmm. of, you know, create these things, like you're saying, without having to use these animal parts. But then mm-hmm. there's, but then the, everything else seems to have either an environmental impact to what you're doing or there's, there's, there seems to be some tie in between all of them. Yeah. It, it's, it's not so, uh, I haven't been so romantic about it in all of these cars. I mean, there's certain deviations from this where, you know, I'll, you can feel it, you know. You can feel when you've compromised. And, you know, at, sort of after it's like suppress this feeling that I've, that I've gone off path, uh, off the course of actually making the world a better place and maybe starting to make it a worse place. Usually whenever I've come back, it hasn't been a conscious choice. Something great has come into my life um, for the business. So... For instance, we work with the largest uh, gene genomics company um, in the world that makes gene, gene editing, uh, gene um, sequencing equipment. The goal there being to go from, you know, uh, you know, it was, it was like five billion dollars to uh, to do the first genome sequencing, mm-hmm. and now it's about eighteen thousand dollars to get uh, your full genome sequence. Wow! We're we're gonna work with them to try to get down to a hundred dollar genome. Now, if you can get down to a hundred dollar genome, then you should be able to compare your, uh, you, you know, the results of the uh, of a particular um, illness you may have, or a particular or a, a particular pathogen that may uh, be in the environment with how your body will respond, and that should eventually lead to personalized medicine, which is another sort of na- right. nanotechnology. Yeah. So it it sort of got me into the back of it, but that just can't. You know that was a lucky thing that they wanted to work with us. So there are a few things like that that hopefully it comes back and knocks you back and my senses to you know do something positive. So how how do you see it? Like let's let's take that that mm-hmm. scenario for example. How do you see your your technology being able to be used to bring that price down? Or what what is your role in that? Yeah. So we we create the the. I don't, you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with with the way a genome sequencing works, but the part of it that we do is if you, you know, if you look at uh, the the reason why these are so expensive is that mm-hmm. you're you know for a full genome sequence you're not just looking at correlations of whole genes you're looking down to individual base pairs, so you're looking at the amino acids that make up yep, gotcha. uh, the double helix of a, of DNA and you have to divide those um, and you know, and count those and look at those and this takes time and is and getting the right substrate to put these on and is it and so it's just an expensive process um, our company has a, a, you know we have our optics engineers um, creating different types of lighting environment and fluorescence to be able to work with what are called the flow cells that these work within so that it doesn't take time you don't have scrap so you don't you don't have to ha- you know take hundreds of samples to get a full sequence. You can do it right the first time. You know, I, we've made a lot of progress, but we're not to the $100 genome yet. Right. But we think that it can't happen without technology like ours. And I said like ours, it doesn't have to be us, but yeah, right yeah. now it is us. But, it, you know. <clears throat> and, and you're, I mean, that, I think that's an important thing to, to remember. I think we, I think you and I even talked about this before, but we get into this sort of competitive mode once we develop a, you know, right. a service or product or whatever that we think is 
has a value in the market. We try to like sort of hover and protect that little piece of the of the stratosphere in our in our whatever our, our little corner of our market is or whatever. But that's not really the way things work. I mean, I even think about that in in my field. I'm I'm happier when I when I get to do more and more of like the more niche work that I get to do when mm-hmm. someone's like you know this really well I I want I want you to you know be involved in this and somebody else might be trying to take over the same corner but realizing I don't really like this as much as you do <laughs> yeah I mean there, there's there's always this thing that in every generation people think you've reached the end of science right and it's a bit like yeah, this yeah, in, yeah, totally. co- in competitive businesses or just in being human like this well there's no more room left and the the confines of somebody having already done something are wonderful you can build you, you know it's it's like a frame that you can paint within yeah and uh you know, f- so f- for every time you get scooped on something, you should be glad you're scooped on it. Not you, but m- right. me at least, because then that then I can build on it to the next layer, and it's yeah. a tool that I can use. So I, I don't think about competition much at all. I mean, I I also like people to be pushed a bit in in the company, the researchers, and I, and I think mm-hmm. we get to get to we get to sort of challenge ourselves and surprise ourselves when we're under pressure. So yeah. the same maybe pressure I felt from being sick that I may not live so long, at least the sense of we have to get this done, you know, a customer needs it or a patient needs it, whoever that might be, Mm -hmm. um, or a competitor is going to get to it. That's okay to have that kind of pressure. Uh, It should get researchers locked in a room and inventing. And I mean, this is an exciting thing to me when that happens and whatever the push is for them, you know, whether they want to have... you know, some sense of pride in doing something new, that's good. Um, so I don't mind a little pressure on us yeah, all. Yeah, no, I, I also think it, it, it makes us better. I mean, when, when I started this, you know, sort of health and wellness studio here um, on, on Union Street, it was 2005, we started, you know, breaking ground and doing reno and stuff. And it was the beginning of like the boutique era of things but we were kind of on the on the front edge of that we weren't the first by any stretch but it hadn't quite taken off yet and within a year probably of opening it's like everybody was trying to do it but it made us it made us be like really thoughtful about what made us the best at this thing and and also even more specific about what we what we really were passionate about and i think that's another important part of this too all right, that's you finding the niche again. So you, you think it made you better because of this, or do, or would you go a little been, pressure? Yeah, a, a little yeah. pressure, but also and and you know, I I wanted to be I wanted to be as good as I could at what I did, but also the people that we brought in pushed me to be to be better. Like I had, I was training some people. So there was an aspect of training, but then the people that I worked with came in with things that I didn't have, and so there was also this aspect of like. I, I should know that too, right, you know, right. and I, and, and I just have this like curiosity where like, even if I don't know it to the nth degree, I, I at least need to really understand the thing, Yeah, you know, which is why I'm talking to you. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I, I have that same desire, but then I'm starting to realize that, you know, it's, I'm, I'm getting to that point where I, it's, it's, it's hard to dig as deep as I'd like to anymore. You know, I, there, I'm not getting more and more specialist uh, to be more and more specialist the way you're talking about, which is interesting. Like you, t- you talk I about was. finding this yeah. niche. I, 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 I kind of, 
I kind of realized that I'm not going to be the best mathematician, the best physicist, yeah. the best... But you know, somehow I can. I, I have this great luck that I can work around them, and that I can maybe have some ideas that uh, that I could put forward. And you know, in small groups, we can do something. Um, but man, I, I don't feel like I'm the best at anything. I, I just think I've ever been, or even particularly great at <laughs> anything. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there's a bit of that that I'm talking about. It's like I. I think th- what makes me good sometimes in, in my in my field is that is that I do I can sort of take this you know thirty thousand foot view and sort of see what's the whole lay of this and then drop back down into you know where I am with with different things and realize like well this might be my my best the, the best use of me in this right. in this little place that I am is is this. But that there's all of this stuff around me and I can, and, you know, within my feet, within my, you know, business, I think one of the things that's been best for me, what's actually made my business is removing me a little bit from the equation mm. and, and creating a network of other specialists in different fields, which is why I end up knowing people from almost every, you know, that's real integrative health for me is that. I know the best mental health people in different kinds of fields of mental health. I know people in pediatrics that do very specialized and amazing things. I know people in orthopedics and that's what actually draws people into my business is yeah. that they I that I have this network around me and I have some specialized skills and I stick to those for right. some, to some extent. No, but I I do love that about you though. I mean that that you have First of all, I love that you're not part of the establishment in a way, but yet have established something. Yeah. So it's it's an it's a and, and I mean when you talk about a community, it's really it's really interesting because I mean God, I should be so thankful that I have survived, but I still think that like the the, the hospitals are kind of a broken you know the sort of medical system is kind of a broken system, and I it's interesting because I think that you look at things holistically and you think you, and, and yet you're talking about having a specialty within it. I had not thought about this community that allows that, um, mm, in your work. That's yeah. interesting to me. And, and, and the, and the thing is the hospital is essential. You know, it's an essential, sometimes it is just a front line for people. Sometimes right. if you need surgery, you need surgery. I mean, <laughs> definitely. When I say it's, it's broken, it doesn't mean that it you should know, totally get, go you. away. But on the other, on the other hand, it would be great to build one from scratch as if the system had never existed. You know, if, yeah, you, if yeah. you and me and a few other people were sit here and go and, you know, having all the books and knowledge available to us and having our experience and what, what we've touched and done yeah. and say, let's, let's design it from scratch. Money is not an issue. Let's figure it out. I'm curious how much we'd end up keeping about what is there <laughs> yeah. right now. You know? You think like me in this way because I, I, I always think about things like, if if there's a problem, it it and, and you have an engineering background. I I don't I don't have that, but I still have this mind that thinks of, of things and 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 breaks them down into parts and thinks with these things we should be able to solve this problem, you know. And and that's why that's part of the reason why I think I developed these networks of people is because if someone comes into me and it's not for me. I, I know there's a way to solve this person's problem. I might not have the tools, but I know I can find that person, you know? And that's, yeah. it's, and I think in a hospital, and I, to create a hospital from scratch, I, I feel the same way. I feel like 
I, there's got to be, and there are administrators who are really good at doing these kinds of things. And 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 I think we where we lack in 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 care right now is in care coordination, and and that's why that's I, I I challenge I challenge the whole concept of integrative health most of the time because I don't think anything's being integrated. Right. I, no, I, I get that exact feeling and you, you end up not knowing who to go to because you know exactly that they're going to treat you for that thing and miss the rest of it and it's going to overcompensate in one place versus the other and so I first realized that I had so I, I had gone to a doctor's in the in New York because I was you know I was having a little bit of trouble swallowing mm-hmm. and they said what's well, it's acid reflux yeah, and yeah. this was for a, a year and and then I was so I I found I was I was in Germany with a, and I was working in Germany. I was with a friend and a, a, you know, a colleague in my room, and I and he said, "What are you doing? You look like you have trouble. We're having a drink before." And I said, "I don't know." I'm so sorry. He goes, "We're going to call downstairs and get a doctor to see you." Hmm. And the doctor said, "Well, that sounds like this could be a problem. I'll go see." And that led me to explore deeper. But there's a sense that people's statistics somehow in their specialty, their oh, you know, the likelihood that it is you know, GERD or something like this, mm-hmm. I'm not going to explore it deeper. I'm not going to see how, what's really going on. Um, you know, I, I think that we misunderstand our, you know, I think the way that we weigh our priors is kind of, is what we would say, is, is kind of a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Um, and and I, I don't think that in general our system does incredibly well with it. And I don't even mean America's system. I mean just the way in general we look at at. Agreed. The human body. Agreed. I mean, I think I think it comes. It's it it starts with. I've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, but I think it starts with the way that we do intake, and I, I would even say that, you know, it, it's even it's even a, just a way that we relate to each other in general. Like, if I meet you on face value and you have these specific glasses and you're dressed a certain way, I make all sorts of judgments about what's going on with you as a person. Right. Mm-hmm. The same kind of thing. If someone says, "Well, I have," you know. Uh, well, you should go see this specialist and you say to them, well, I have this sort of like difficulty swallowing. And if their specialty is reflux, they're going to treat you, you know, as if, right. as if it's reflux. Right. Most right. of their patients, it's been reflux. Yeah. That's yeah. logical, but it's kind of not, not admitting a, a certain limitation that that doctor has, right? They're, 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 and we all have limitations. Not, right. And that doctor has because that doctor's a human. Right. right. <laughs> it's, it's just and, one of those things. And, and it's one of the things I feel like I'm not, you know, the best of, of my field necessarily, but I think the one thing I'm I'm good at is that I don't judge things very very quickly. Mm. That I, I actually take a long time, and it's but some of it is part of my training that the way that I work with people, and because I deal with things that sort of cross boundaries between like sort of mental emotional. Mm you know, as to the way that it's sort of playing out physically in their body, especially when I'm dealing with chronic pain stuff, like chronic pain stuff often has this, these roots in other things, but the way that it expresses physiologically is pain, right? It doesn't necessarily mean because you have a pain in your shoulder that it's all about an orthopedic issue, right? You see what I'm saying? So I, I take a long time before I, and, and I sort of trust my instinct a little bit. And some of it is that I have these different tools. Some of them are like, you know, more gentle. Some of them are a little bit more manipulative that I can kind of do. And I can also test people's movement and do a lot of things. And then I get to a point where I just sort of say, my bag of tricks is or isn't working. <laughs> so then you, then you, then you go to step two. And I think there's, there's, there is a kind of, 
way that I think we should kind of more gently test before we go to oh, the, I love that. To the, the heavy side yeah, of things. Right. So, you, you know, some, a pain in somebody's shoulder or back, you don't start with the assumption that they have that problem in yeah. that specific area. You, you at that... And there are specialists who, to will, who will to say, say, no, I love oh, that. Th- this is an orthopedic issue. Let's get an MRI. Or, I mean, I had, I had a woman one time who came into me who ha- was having like dizziness issues and stuff. And she went and someone suggested that she go to an eye doctor because she was having some vision stuff with it. And the vision doctor said, I think that's, I, I've seen this before. That could very well be cancer. No, it wasn't at all. It was an inner ear thing as it turned out. And mm-hmm. it's probably viral or something. But the, what that set off in that person threw everything out of whack because then her anxiety and her stress levels went up, right? So, so to, to make any sort of like rash judgment or to use a, you know, yeah. a too heavy of a tool at that point or even language, which ends up being like a little too much is incredibly problematic. Yeah. I, you know, I, I keep going back and forth with whether I think that, and it's really interesting with your work and I, I'm curious how you think of this, but whether the human body is incredibly complex and we can't as humans understand what's going on health-wise or if it's actually an extremely deterministic system that you can figure out through a series of causalities and you know things that which seems to be a little bit what you do but at the same time acknowledge it's you know, I go back and forth on that so much. I think it's both. I think it's both. That's the that's the thing. I think we have a hard time culturally thinking things could be both. Like I understand how your technology could be hugely beneficial for all sorts of things. I mean, I tend to deal with people who are actually mostly on the healthy scale of things, but I have doctor friends who deal with the other 60 to 70% of the population yeah, right. who is, who is, you know, and, and then there are even smaller percentages who come into the world with these, you know, genetic disparities who would so benefit from someone who can really get very sort of, you know, microscopic in the way that they're sort of looking at, at, at you know, fixing this problem. I don't think everyone needs to have their entire coding sequence done. You don't think so? I, it, it, could be, it, it, could be, it could be helpful, but it could if also it, work against you. If well, you how if, can it work against you? I'm just curious. I think, I think the, sometimes the information, um, let's, let's, I'll, I'll try to use this as an example. Um, so I, I think I was just telling you about this. My, my, I had a friend who went through a, a cancer mm-hmm. you know, surgery over the summer. Now he has a, a, a sister who died of cancer mm-hmm. 15 years ago. It, it could be helpful, let's say, to have that cancer, um, to, to get down to the genomic level and understand that cancer a little bit more. But he has six other siblings who have had no problems. He's also become a hypochondriac and maybe was a little bit of hypochondriac because I've known him since college. <laughs> and so does the information, you know, and, and the mind-body part of things benefit him into, into well-being or does it work against his well-being? You know, and or mm. or if his if his siblings got the same information, would would that help them? Okay. What what if what if you had the ability to edit the gene? That's yeah. That's that's interesting. Does that change? Is the if if you had a ability to find out where there is a problem or a even a potential problem that has say an eighty percent likelihood that you will develop a, a, a certain disease or are prone to something or 
or um, or cancer of so, some type. Um, would there be any reason at all not to know that? First of all, you would say yes, maybe. Yeah. Which I I don't really agree with, but I get I kind of get your point. But what if? But if you could eliminate it, would there ever be a reason not to eliminate it? Right. And then the question and you is, can't and you so without knowing it's there, you won't be able to ever edit it either. Right, right. So then it seems like an imperative that if you have the ability to see your full genome, that you'd want to see your full genome. Do, would you want to see your full Absolutely. genome? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't. I, I mean, I think that I am in. You know, my my genome will read differently than anybody else's, even though ninety nine percent of it will be like yours. But that, the, but the but those those bits that are different are going to be the keys to how I can be treated, and how I will be healthier, or how my children will be, yeah. and my grandchildren, right? And or a population of of people, and then everybody on the planet. I guess that there are these differences, right? You could say, do you want to get a blood test every day to know if you're sick yeah. or do, or should you get a yearly physical or should you do it every five years? And yeah. are there benefits to each of those? And there probably are, but, you know, and different people may react differently to that. But knowing your full genome, I see no downside to. Yeah. This just came through in, in conversation today with, with, um, last night, I found out a friend of mine who I talked to in, in June, you know, four months ago. Um, he and his wife just found out they were pregnant, mm-hmm. first baby. And so I hadn't talked to him over the summer, and he came in to see me actually for treatment while he was here, while I was here. And he told me, I, I asked how things were going, and he said, We had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And so. I, it, it made me think a lot about I've treated I've treated a number of women who have had multiple miscarriages, just working on the sort of nervous system aspect and helping with the relaxation part of this mind body part of things. When when we become incredibly anxious and our sympathetic response goes up, suddenly we are you know less likely to be able to have balanced function in the way that the body sort of you know sets things up, and we keep having miscarriages over and over again. It's the same thing kind of happens. Like my mom was adopted. She, after she was adopted, my, my grandparents weren't, weren't having any success. They were 40. And so they adopted her and a month later they, and they got pregnant. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Cause the anxiety went away. So, so there's, yeah. and, and so I asked this, I, there was a the woman that I treated who had, who has a two year old now who had been through, I think five miscarriages in within the, so that her children are like 10 years apart. So they had tried for a really long time to get pregnant and kept having these miscarriages and it was, you know, incredible, you know, impact on her relationship with her husband and just her life in general. And so she started doing just tons of blood work and doing it regularly um, each month to try to do this. But the, the, the impact of having to kind of go through that and analyze everything each month almost kind of took her out of that place where her body was in balance. And so she still wasn't able to conceive, but then came to see me for a couple months and suddenly got pregnant and stayed pregnant because she continued to get some different kinds of, you know, sort of support through the process. So I, I mean, I, yeah, I get, I, I, I certainly get your that's, point. That, 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 the, that's it, where I'm wondering. Being you know? crippled by anxiety for a long time on something that you can't act upon or, you know, getting rid of anxiety in general is a difficult thing. You know, right. I, I have anxiety and I've been, I've done all sorts. It's a difficult thing and sometimes more difficult than actually, I, 
So, you know, it's always like knowing if you're going, if, if you're prone to get Alzheimer's or not is, since there's no cure for Alzheimer's, is a very difficult thing to say whether you'd want to know that. Right. Right. Because it could come, you know, in 10 years, it could come in 15, but you're always waiting for the shoe to drop. On the other hand, we're already waiting for the shoe to drop that we're probably going to die. Right. Right. So there, it's, it just depends sort of, I think, on what level your existential <laughs> well, fears and, and anxieties may the, the, This goes back to reside. what we were talking about earlier is, was that it's, I don't think it's an either or no, issue. No, no and, I don't either. And, and, that, and, and then if, and if, if we take what you would, you know, being able to look at your, your you know, genome sequence and to, have, to, to carry that information, but also be supported with something else, maybe, you know, in terms of alternative therapies or, yeah. you know, integrative health that helps you stay balanced as you're able to process this information. Let's, you know, you might be, you know, 20 years old when you have this done and realize, you know, there's a very good chance that I could end up with MS or some debilitating disease, which can start to freak you out. But how do you balance that? You know, in you can start to work on that, on that, um, what you're going to do to fix that problem with the gene, but you also need to treat that period of time before you get to that place because otherwise you might cause more problems. Right. I mean, have you ever, have you ever seen the Woody Allen movie, Hannah and Her Sisters? Yeah, yeah. His, you know, the whole time he's worried that he, you know, the doctor says, I'm going to do a little test, you may have a tumor. And so he spends the whole time, he tries out every different possible religion, you know. He's like, right, right, comes right. a Hare Krishna, becomes a Christian, becomes everything. And if I finally goes and he sees his doctor and, you know, he's waiting to hear that he's dying and he says, you're you know, you don't have cancer, it's nothing. And he's running through the streets so happy. And then suddenly gets depressing. It's one day I'm going to go and he's going to say I have. It's like the dread existed even after he was shot. I kind of feel life can be a bit like that. So that's that's like dealing, curing the anxiety here, right? right? And I, I think that that anybody can fall prey to that, whether you have the diagnosis or you just know that someday you might have the diagnosis. Right. We're all prone to, not all of us, but some of us are prone to more anxiety than others regarding this inside. But it's but that, that, that's the thing. It's like, I think we're always in this, like our existential angst and, you know, this, this dilemma that we're always kind of sitting with, with, with science and technology coming in and saying, well, you know, th- there are interventions here. And, and, and I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've gone through this with a lot of people. I've worked with a lot of people who have gone through cancer treatment and most of them have lived, thankfully, in my practice. You know, I've, and I've, I even had somebody a couple of years ago who had pancreatic cancer and I, I knew the odds weren't good. And two, two years later, she's, she's still alive and she's even doing, seems to be doing like, she put more effort into like self-care and she's doing really well. Yeah. So, like I, I, I think there's those those interventions are crucial. Chemotherapy is not something that people want to go through in radiation, but it's, but the, I think you have to figure out what that balance is between the, what what you feel like that the value is of whatever you uh, the, way, the, the way you look at your life or time left or whatever. And it gets harder when you get when you get older to make those those decisions about. I mean, I'm sure it's uh, you were young. How were, how old were you? I was thirty two. Thirty two. Yeah, I it gets harder as you get older. That's interesting. I mean, that may be true. I'm not sure if it would be any harder for me now, huh. but may but we could think maybe it'll be harder in 30 years. I don't I don't know. I mean, it's 
I, there's I reasons harder, th- there's, harder, I think, because because of the way the body might respond physiologically. Like, it, yeah, it's just. I mean, it, chemotherapy may not be. It might be interesting to look at whether you know chemotherapy isn't particularly good. Like, it works sometimes. There's there's getting to be you know the things are getting better, and you know cancer survive survival is much better than it used to be. But there might be reason to think that the destruction you're doing young, when you're young, especially radiation therapy, mm-hmm. even more so, I think. I mean, yeah, I can, yeah. But with both, uh, what that does later on, maybe you even be more cautious of it when you're young. I don't know. But I see what you mean. I mean, you you go through a lot when you're 90 years yeah, old. That's true. Why, it, might, but, it, it could be. It could be either. It could be either. Either way. Yeah. But I think there's a there's also an aspect. I mean, I'm, I'm projecting because I've never had anything like this, but. But I can just imagine that, like, if I got to a certain point and I, you know, I mean, we, we probably never, I mean, at least my, my experience of being almost 50 and aging is is that I, I still feel like I have a million things that I want to do. Yeah. And I don't think that really ever goes away for most people. I think we slow, you know, s- slow the... The, uh, the 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 hamster wheel down <laughs> for ourselves. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I I don't want that to go away from me, right? I don't, I, right. I, I, I will. I will. I want to wake up every day and feel that there's more to do than I felt the day before. Mm. You know, it's like so every time you read a book, it you you want to read more by that author, and then you realize, but wait, if I read more by that author, then I'm going to miss that time that I could read another <laughs> book by a different author. And you know, and it, it's. Um, yeah, I think I, I I wonder if I think that could be an interesting goal of life is just to con- continue to want to open more and more doors, read more and more books as you go on, be as excited as the year before. But life does seem to wind down in a different way for most people. Actually, I don't know. Maybe there, maybe there maybe that there is a cure for that, and maybe there shouldn't be. I don't know. I have I have a question for you that just came up. I don't know. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about this before, but. So you, so you're a, a jazz pianist. Yeah. Do you see any sort of connection between? I, I, I I'm just thinking about it in relation to time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so do you see any 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 relationship between these two things that you know the sort of like engineering side of the way that you you know spend? I mean, you're also you're also a CEO, so you you have to think about you know. A lot of yeah, I do that most. Um, at, at this point, whether I do. like it most, but I do that most right now. But yeah, but but you have. I mean, you you spent a lot of time in in, in engineering. So, it, what kinds of what is do you feel like was is music now like your your balance to this this part of the way that you have to kind of operate in the world, or does 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 it change time for you at all? To, for sure, to, to, to play uh, music? absolutely. I mean, there's a, all of the things that. I'm overthinking right now about time and anxieties <laughs> yeah. and things. When you're playing, especially I play free jazz music. And when you play free jazz, you're with a, a group of people. You have your eyes closed so that through time as you play, you start to have slight re- recruiting of the, um, uh, um, auditor- the auditory cortex recruits slightly from the visual, which gives up mm. the most... So you start to hear others extremely well, and it for, you're you're in the moment in a way that I never am in the moment in my life. Oh yeah, yeah. And you're and it's moving so fast that, that what's going on has never gone on before. There's been no preparation for it. It's it's and if if you're not 
completely feeling and listening in that moment, you'll stop playing. It's mm. like, you know, how <laughs> somebody who's skiing down a difficult mountain must feel. Yeah. But this, it's doing it while connecting to other people. Yeah. And it's absolutely a counterbalance to anything in my life that requires um, a, a type of, um, you know, a, a type of premeditation, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, now science can be very much like that. Perhaps engineering can, but I think science has a much closer analog to mm-hmm. jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, science in the best sense is that you don't really achieve what you set out to achieve. You hopefully discover new things along the way. It's about, and it's you about don't, a process. It's about a process. Yeah. And um, I think that jazz is a bit more like that. Mm-hmm. Now, it, over a large time scale, being a CEO is part of process too. All right, my company's doing completely different things than I ever thought it would before, and it mm-hmm. pivots in different ways every day and so on. Um, but you know, mentally, I'm not in the moment in the same way as when I'm playing piano. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get that? Oh yeah, and and as as a CEO, oh though, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, when when it happens, it's just amazing. I mean, it, and I mean, I I I think it. It happens a lot. It's just that, it, you know, there are just so many more times that, you know, it's, it's sort of like when people think this is an incredibly weird coincidence. I just ran into somebody from college down the street, you know, it's, mm-hmm. wow, why, why is it on this street and in this big city? How does this happen? And you start to think what a strange thing that is. But it's actually kind of strange that it doesn't happen more, right? I mean, we live a lot of, of hours, true, but we remember true. all the times that we don't run into, you know, we remember this time. It was amazing. I ran into this person. Yeah. The opposite thing can can tend to happen with this regard to being a CEO. Um, what are the things that are rare? Are there the things that are rare the moments that are not inspiring or the things that are rare that are inspiring? Um, and when I actually look, it's really the anomaly that things are bad. Really, most of the time, things are really exciting and good. But I'm remembering some certain stressful aspects of it, and that, and I shouldn't allow those to carry through. Mm, yeah, it actually, if if I didn't allow it to, being a CEO could be much more like being a jazz musician. So you you have to create some structure, which is not that different from jazz, I guess. Well, but we have eighty eight keys on a on a keyboard. <laughs> I mean, there there is a structure. Yeah. To to music, there's, there's always limits. Yeah. But that it, you know, I, I think we, uh, and I, I imagine this is true within with the C, as a CEO, you can probably look at what you're doing, especially in nanotechnology, and say this is limitless. I could I could yep. go into any any field. I could get into environmental science. I can get into you know biology, chemistry, anything, and you can and you can have a, a play. But you have to you have to narrow down. Otherwise, you have to choose, you know. Uh, so yeah. three three uh, notes to really like tie into what key you're playing in. Well, or... it's really a lucky thing, and and probably why I chose them. You started. You, you ask, or you you know you make microscopes. The good thing about this is that I don't I don't have to specialize in, for instance, genomics. I don't know that much about genomics. Yeah. But uh, they use our microscopes, right? This company, so I can go and dig into it as much as I want. Same thing with regenerative medicine. Same thing with next generation electronics. Same thing with um, LiDAR for self-driving vehicles. Same thing with next generation chemicals, for, uh, graphene for desalinization. I was like, I'm not an expert in any of those things. But luckily, I make this device. You yeah. know, our company makes this thing 
that gets put around the world for these different things. And I can go and touch in those and in the most exciting areas in the world if I want to experience those. So luckily, the canvas is much, much bigger than anything that my company could do right. because we're involved with all of these different areas. But there's a but for you, there's got to be a thread. I mean, yeah. wh- what is it that you narrow down enough that you know that if I get to this point, all of these different people might be able to find a use for it? So I think that there is a level of technological aid. And you know, we talked about this. We we're talking about people that would, you know, would work with us, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing is for those that would work with nanotronics instruments. Always keeping in mind that if a company or an area were to use this, you know, why would I go after the, that business? Yeah. Or why would I do this? Or why would they come to us? It's so that you know, this is where I think people tend to misunderstand automation and and artificial intelligence and things. The the point is to actually allow people to have more time to be human, right? So I I would generally look at a situation and say, if if we provided this tool, what does that do for that for progress to occur and progress occurring for you know people achieving goals that people want to achieve, mm. and so. It's it's hard to find an area where that's not something. I mean, I can find those areas. You know, mm-hmm. it's there. There are certain areas in the economy where you say it, is, it actually. There's uh, you're where you're completely a middleman. Like society's yeah. created a bunch of middlemen. Yeah. And you know, if those jobs went away or those things went away, how could people be freed from being middlemen so that they could be themselves creative mm-hmm. or them with a group to be creative. So I, I guess I look at, at situations where those opportunities would already, if I, if I put that key in the hole and, and turned it, that we could open up that, those possibilities for human creativity. And, and is that, for, for you, is that, is that about finding the, the right partnership relationship with other businesses? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're customers to us, they're partners to us, yeah. Um, sometimes it's things that I'm interested in. I and I um, approach others with a group of people who have whatever you call those hard tech companies. So you know we don't make apps. We make some sort of difficult, expensive things to make. <laughs> um, that you know it's, it has its own struggles. And you know, few of us have been friends since we started our companies and mm-hmm. have gone through fundraising and so on. And so, sometimes we work together because we've started to get a, yeah. a worldview together. And other times, m- more often than not, you kind of get lucky and learn about something you didn't know and somebody comes to us or we, you know, hears about us and it opens a, a door to something that I didn't know about. That happens more often. Yeah. But if there's an area I really want to explore, since we do have such a, a such a sort of uh, agnostic tool that we make, right. um, it, I, can, I can go and look at those areas. Yeah. And, and I imagine clients for you are the easiest place to, to figure out you know, the, the partnership or does, does what you're doing match my, you know, what I want to do with that end thing that you're doing to improve a human experience yeah. or to open the open right. door? Or, or my, right. Or my own experience, right. You know, that it's, it's amazing when I, I love to be forced to learn a new field completely, 
It's to not look like, and and some the, the first moment is to just not look like an idiot when you go on time. <laughs> yeah, I remember I get great advice when I, I started when I, I was I used to teach at university and um, a great mentor and friend of mine. I was really nervous the first day I was teaching. I'm you know these students, Columbia University students, they're so much smarter than I am. I mean, what? Right, right. How am I going to do this? Yeah. And he says. Matthew, all you have to do is be 30 minutes ahead of them, <laughs> you know? And so it becomes this emergent cramming, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I get to spend my whole life cramming to try to understand a bit. And it's I think it's similar to something you said, you know, to try to understand a bit about the whole system and, and then to sort of see these specialties and kind of get it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sort of 30 minutes ahead of the meeting, so people think I've actually known it my whole life. But it's, mm-hmm. it's not lying, but it's, 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 it's really just really quickly getting to learn something new and doing that every day and try, yeah. you know, how wonderful when there was some, something that, you know, I may have heard about or read about in a, uh, a magazine or heard somebody speak about, and then suddenly I have this urgency to, to, that they become a customer of ours. So I have to learn that now they will use our tool to further that. Yes. So it's a great excuse to dig, dive deeper into yeah. something, yeah. which I love. I, I mean, I even do that with, with people. Somebody might, you know, approach me and have something very specific, even, even a, you know, a, a newer, newish kind of sounding syn- syndrome yeah. that, that's been developed. And I really have no experience with it. And, and they, they'll say, you know, have you worked with this before? And I'll say, no, I haven't. Like, I, I will just tell them straight up. You know, and that's an unusual thing. Will you thing. still take the challenge? But I will still take the yeah. challenge. I'll say, you know, if you'd be okay. And sometimes I even offer them just a, a free session to say, just come in, let's talk. And, um, you know, I, I want to yeah. get you on the table and just like see what I, what I notice and, you know, see see how you feel afterwards. And if and if there's any benefit, and I, I don't really care. Like I think this is where it gets sort of interesting, you know, with with science, and then also with just the just the dynamics of human relationship, and you know, we can call it placebo or whatever. But if someone feels better from coming in and being in my space, or I created a space for them that was a healing space, that might be all that was needed. I mean, I don't, I can't explain it sometimes. For sure, yeah, that's yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. I love that. And I, I but I, I even imagine that like, I, I don't think people think about this in business as, as much or think about it this way, but I, I imagine as a CEO, again, you, you, you are also kind of like the, you think the way I do and that you, you need to have that 30,000 foot view yeah. of everything that's sort of going on and the potential of, of your, of your product. And then someone might come to you and say, can, can your product, you know, help with this thing? And you'd be like, Hmm, I, that hasn't even crossed my radar yet. I mean, almost every every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless it's exact. I mean, there, there are a group of you know, so, um, uh, you know, semiconductor companies, for instance. We've worked with a lot of them. So mm. we, you know, you start to know things that you, you know, you've worked with a lot of yeah, these particular yeah, yeah. kind. But most of the time, it's that feeling of just I, I really don't know. And we have we have a group in our company called Solutions Architects. And this is what they do is they take in new new things. They're scientists. They work through, see, how does what we, what the toolbox that we've already developed at Nanotronics, how could that work for them? And I always, whenever we hire a Solutions Architect, I always say, you have the job I wish I had, you know? <laughs> I want to be a Solutions Architect because this is the most exciting part. And every once in a while I get to work with these guys. Yeah. And But it's exactly that. It's always, here's this thing, you know? I don't, 
what, what can what can your tools do with this? How can what what can you discover by that we didn't know in order to make something new or to make our process better? And we don't know, but it's a it's it's I love to have that challenge, and you yeah. don't always you don't always figure it out. And sometimes we don't figure it out, but they do with our tool, yeah. and it, it, that's the best. That's so cool. Well, man, this is so this is so fun. This is like I feel it like was. I, I, I love I, it. I, I still I still am hungry for information. So if the thing the, is, I want I, 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 there's so much I want to ask you, but we'll, can, let's let's do it on my soil sometime, and I can ask you questions. I was going to say, I, I know you're breaking ground on your new space, yeah. and I was gonna I was gonna suggest that maybe at some point I can come in and actually see. This, I love this stuff that. And maybe I love we can, that. Maybe we can we can record it on, on our side sometime. On, on maybe side I would and, love and, to and read and and. You know, go go deeper into this because I still have so many questions. Oh, and I, and Scott, and I have all of you. And I feel so selfish talking about myself like this when you have so many interesting things to say. You're my guest. Thank so you. We'll, we'll I really appreciate time. it. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks. Matthew Putman, folks. Matthew and I decided to go grab a bite to eat after this, which is not something I often get to do with my guests after recording. The conversation continued once we sat down, and interestingly, we both admitted to each other that our minds had been changed by each other. Matthew told me that I had said something to him that he hadn't given much thought about, referring to what I said about what happens to a person when they receive information like this. And I admitted that I felt exactly the same way, that I'd never really considered the possibility that once we know our genomics, that there's potential to edit that code. And I share this because I, this, is, this is why I believe debate is so crucial. I find myself too often in a room full of people with the same beliefs. I think most of us live in bubbles of some sort, socially, ethnically, politically, and in our own industries. And at this point in my life, I'm finding myself more drawn to people with differing opinions because I know that when everyone is agreeing with me, I'm probably not learning anything new. Let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can contact me directly through the contact form at, at uh, highwaytohealthpodcast.com. And you can now listen to our entire catalog of episodes there for free. And if you have a guest that you think I should have here on the show, please reach out to me and let me know who they are and why you think I should have them on. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.